Welcome to Sexuality After, the place we have real, raw conversations about how sexuality shifts and changes throughout our lives, especially after religion, parenthood, trauma, and loss. I hope by listening to these stories, you're inspired to leave shame behind. Embrace your sexuality wherever it is right now and know that you're not alone in the weird and wild experiences we all go through. Perfect. So welcome to this episode of Sexuality After. I'm very excited to have with me um, Kali Larme. She's from Australia and she is a really good friend of one of my really good friends. And my friend speaks nothing but amazing things about her. So I'm so excited to have her on and introduce her to you and hear her story. So if you want to just say something about who you are right now, where you're at in your life, and then we'll talk about where you started. Awesome. Hey, it's so good to be here. Um, again, my name is Kali. I'm an American gal living in Brisbane. Um, I did the whole, ah, what is my life? What's happening? And quit my nine to five about three years ago in the States to travel all around. And then I ended up realizing that um, I really wanted to call Australia home. So I'm currently here. Um, I've got a coaching business, helping people figure out what they want to be when they grow up. Wildermind Coaching, check it out. Nice. Um, and I also run a women's circle for women who figured out that they were queer or are questioning who have come to that place later in life. So it's basically a peer support group. Um, and then I'm also studying a master of social work, a freelance writer, got my hands in lots of pots, but basically helping people find their thing and find themselves is something that I'm really passionate about. So really happy to be here today. Yes, that sounds amazing. I did not know that you were doing all those things. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to hear about that more. And we'll definitely put a link to, you know, you and your work um, in the show notes. So people can check that out. Um, so I'd love to hear about, you know, kind of your childhood growing up as quickly or as in-depth as you want to go, maybe two or three of the primary childhood beliefs that you were taught growing up about mm -hmm. sex, sexuality, your body, your relationship to yourself, anything like that. I was also growing up in a very uh, religious Catholic family, but faith was generally a source of joy. But there was also that piece of sexuality is really sacred. It's something that should only be between men and women. It's something that should only be saved for your, your husband. Um, and I think where that was coming from was other people in my family did have negative experiences with intimacy before marriage, and it led to um, some challenging relationships. And so I think that belief was kind of mixed with religion a bit. So there was always like, protect your heart, don't give yourself away, don't have sex, because kind of like in Mean Girls, you will get pregnant and die that kind of thing. So there, I was just really afraid of it. I thought it was going to be the end of my life. Um, so that was a big piece of it. Yeah. So it was a real mix of family trauma slash experiences and religion that kind of led to the, to that conditioning around sex, would you say? Yeah, I'd say so. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Then the other piece of it was, I guess what you call the gay thing. I think we didn't know, I didn't know very many people who were gay and it wasn't really something that was taught to me as an option. It was kind of like, as soon as I became hit puberty, I got the sex talk about, you know, boys and what to do and what not to do with them. But there was never that conversation about girls, maybe. <laughs> um, and I just remember a lot of conversations around the kitchen table um, because at the time, we had a conservative president in the States and there was something called the Defense of Marriage Act, which was kind of protecting, sorry, someone might need to fact check me on this, but kind of protecting the fact that marriage should be between people of the opposite gender. Um, and so there are lots of kitchen table conversations about like, oh yeah, like gay people, you know, they should have rights, but just under God's eyes, I don't think you can call that marriage. So that was something that was kind of the most I ever heard about 
homosexuality, that it just wasn't, just wasn't right, but that they should have rights. Right. Okay, awesome. That's a little bit more than some religious people get, like, or religious <laughs> families. So um, that's, that's interesting. I didn't know about that act. So thanks for bringing that up. That's cool. Um, so then what happened as you grew up and kind of came into your own, like, when did that happen? When did you discover your own um, sexuality or relationship with yourself? I'm just going to switch this over. Yeah. Um, I think that started to happen actually when I left, you could almost say the church community, because um, Catholicism and its view on social justice and helping others, I think continues to really align with me in some way. So I did end up going to a Catholic university in the States where religion was a really big part of the ethos of the school, but also came with that was some shame around sexuality. Um, there wasn't even a gay student union recognized by the school until my last year of college. Like it wasn't, it wasn't progressive in that way. So I guess all this is to say when uni is typically a time of sexual exploration for a lot of people. Um, it wasn't that for me because it was a very conservative school. There were rules about boys sleeping over in girls' rooms that could technically get you kicked out if you were caught, like very strict. Um, so all this is to say it wasn't until I moved to California, San Francisco Bay Area, yeah. and just my eyes were open, like lesbians walking around all over the place, probably more of them than I realized because at that time I thought that you had to dress a certain way to be queer. Like my dichotomy of that was just so narrow-minded and I hope that what I just said there doesn't sound that way, but just my perception was just so narrow-minded. And so I remember the moment where I had, um, I had a boss who was a femme woman to me appeared straight and she came out to me that she was bi and I was just like, what you don't look by and like oh, at 22 or 23 just my eyes were open that you could be all different sexual orientations but dress as you are be who you are not fit that stereotype so just in California of course I just met more and more actually I met my first people in the queer community I think I'd always you know they'd maybe been my classmates but I never had any queer friends so once that started happening and I started meeting people and having those conversations. I think that's when my eyes started to be open about like, Oh, maybe, maybe I could be. Um, so yeah. before then for you, it was just like, boys, 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 like you never really considered um, girls or you never found them like particularly attractive or did you always kind of feel like they were or like, how, how did that happen? I think that concept of compulsory heterosexuality speaks to me a lot. Like it just wasn't presented that when you start having sexual feelings or sexuality, you can, it's all about any gender. It was all about boys. So I think I just, I tried to follow along. This might be a little bit of an indirect answer to your question, but I tried to follow along with like my girlfriend's conversations in the cafeteria. Oh, this boy is so cute. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, watching Twilight and saying, oh, Robert Pattinson's so hot. And I just feel like, yeah, you want to keep up as a girl, as a teenager. I knew about Ellen Generous and Rosie O'Donnell and uh, their queerness, but I didn't, because I didn't connect with like that kind of masculinity. I was like, okay, I don't want to cut my hair like that. I don't want to dress like that. I must not be gay. So I think I just had this very narrow, stereotypical peripheral vision of what a queer woman was I was like okay I'm not that so then I just assumed I must be straight and only now looking back I can see okay that girl that I kind of noticed a little bit too much in my high school class I was probably a little bit crushing on her but I just didn't even have the language to describe that until my early 20s because I just literally didn't know it was an option for me which just sounds wild um but no, I didn't I get know. it I mean, that's yeah. my experience. Um, and, you know, other people that you and I know, it's their experience too. So I don't think it's really that uncommon. I think it's really interesting that you had an image of what a queer woman would look like. And because you didn't want to look that way, um, you assumed that that wasn't your sexuality. I think that's really interesting. 
uh, just because it's different than my experience, but like I was raised in a very religious um, community and yeah, it was not even, I don't know, the same. It just wasn't on my radar. It wasn't an option. It wasn't talked about, nothing. And that continued actually until not that long ago. Like, cause I was, um, I didn't leave until I was 28. So, and then it was only until I started really discovering my sexuality more and how much I had been repressed. And then I was like, oh, I could be into girls. <laughs> They're pretty sexy. So I get it. And I think, I don't know. I'm glad we're having this conversation because people don't, I don't know. I don't think people talk about it so much. They're like, well, you always know from when you're, you know, really young. And it's like, not always. No. It is something you can discover for yourself as you get older and your circumstances change or your world changes, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's this, gosh, I really wish I could know. Maybe you can put in the show notes. Um, There's this quote that's like, you can't be what you can't see. And it's more so geared towards people of marginalized backgrounds, not having options of all that the prosperity in life that could be available to them because they don't see people that are living in those circumstances. But I think it could also be applied across to this, where if you don't know that you can be loving all different genders, all different people agree with different gender orientations, you might not really know other than some sort of feeling that this isn't right. But if you don't have a language around it, how are you meant to make sense of that and pursue your truth? Totally. I've never heard that quote, but it is it's a good one. I really love it. It's a big it's one very in the true. workspace as well. Yeah. That's yeah. why it is so important in our, in like Hollywood and in our media to show every kind of men, every kind of man, every kind of woman, every kind of person doing all sorts of different things so that somebody can find themselves and and see themselves doing different things. Like it really does inspire us. Yeah, I think it makes options. a huge difference. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm really, I'm actually loving um, the queer representation, I think, in the media, at least a little bit on Netflix. Um, it might just be that Netflix is showing me shows that have queer <laughs> subplots, surprise, but I have been noticing um, a few shows I've been watching, including Atypical, um, of these subplots of um, women or, or teenage girls who are coming into their sexuality and they don't look mask like they're femme they're they're what you would not distinguish as someone as part of the queer community and I think that that's well dressing as you want like you know do what you want whatever Mm -hmm. but I think having that diverse representation is so amazing because like I didn't have that and I um I think it'd be so great for girls to be like oh like you can be like that and love women. Like, I think that's so beautiful. Totally. Yes. I think it's getting a lot better in media too. I'm really happy to see that. It's becoming more and more normal for somebody like just in your average movie to be queer. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of normal. It's not even like a big deal. It's not like a big part of the movie. It's just like, oh, they're queer. And it's like, oh. Yes. Yeah. And the stereotypical queer as well. I think yeah. that's yes. really diversifying loving it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so when you first came into sexuality in California, um, were your first sexual experiences with men or women or how did that kind of go? And when did you first have sexual experiences with women? What was that like? And yeah. Oh, yeah. I, when you first said when you first came into your sexuality in California, I was like, that is that is a broad statement because you have to remember I was coming from high school fear around uh sex and then college rules around sex <laughs> literally part of like the school code was not to have sex unless you were married um yep. and then in california i was like okay what i'm doing is i'm downloading tinder and i'm going on dates with men and like this is a big deal so it's really funny about just that normalizing of intimacy and dating like that was my big step and then I guess I wouldn't have named it that way at the time but then 
making some queer friends and just having conversations. And I remember my first conversation with a coworker who'd broken up with uh, her boyfriend of a few years. And she, I said, oh, you know, you're going on dates now. And she goes, yeah, I think I'm actually swiping for men and women. And I was like, what? That just blew my mind. And then that I started to think, hmm, maybe, maybe I would do that. Um, so it was a really slow journey. I got into a relationship with a man, dated him for about a year and a half. We broke up. My mid-20s were at this point. And then, you know, once again, hopped on the apps, said, oh, like, wonder who's out there. Okay, switching my settings to women. Um, but I just, I couldn't do it. I'd chat to them. I would get nervous. I would be like, oh, like, no one would want to date me. I'm too old to be somebody's first queer girlfriend like and this went on got in another relationship with a guy for about a year and it wasn't until I was 28 that I said okay like it's been I've been single for a while I'm ready <laughs> God, to hop on the apps to see who's out there <laughs> um yeah and I I've been over a five-year period every time I was single I would make and break these promises to myself that like this will be the time when I will finally try dating women yeah and I would just get scared and so um it was actually not until about a year ago that I first had um a conversation with one of my best friends here who is a gay male and I was like okay I am really thinking that I actually need to try dating women and there was as it is with any decision process I make, like I got to talk about it. I got to talk about my thoughts, feelings, yeah. and emotions. And um, sorry, I'll try to keep this brief, but I no, think- I love it. Okay, yeah. Um, having him was actually really amazing because I, I was able to unpack with him a lot of fear that I had. I was like, hey, I feel like there's so many rules of the queer community that I don't know. I've looked online, maybe there's these niches or types of women and- kind of nuances of this subculture that I just don't know about. And I just felt like I didn't know the rules. I didn't know the unofficial rules. I didn't know the terms. I didn't know anything. And I was like, what if no one will want me? I don't know how to have sex with a girl. I've never kissed a girl other than my friend once <laughs> um, for fun, really. Um, and so I was just so nervous and he helped me to unpack all that he helped to just kind of kind of his thing and maybe this will help listeners in this space was like it's human to human he was like yes there's all those rules there's all the bullshit there's all the norms there's all the people who want to subscribe to these um you know sub labels within the queer world like that's great but he said you know what like it's just really about who are you and who do you love and what do you want out of a human connection? And that's not to devalue the value of finding a label that suits you, but that just really helped me bring it back to like, yes, I'm not experienced women, but like to any woman I would date for the first time, I'd be new with her. So I tried to just say, you know what, I might be super awkward, but I will be just showing up as me and so that's when I started <laughs> almost done with this but that's when I really started going on dates with women <laughs> and the first woman I went on a date with uh it was a big misunderstanding because it turned out she was straight oh. <laughs> and just had um that haircut and it was just a big misunderstanding and I was like oh <laughs> so shout out to her Thank you for taking away my nerves. Um, That's hilarious. <laughs> so really funny. How ironic. My first, yeah. <laughs> Your first. With this great girl. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> who probably should have been on Bumble BFF, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then it's a whole story from there, but that those conversations are really what helped me really step out and like keep that promise to myself that I would try. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more if you feel comfortable doing so about what specific fears were it was, were they that kept you from, um, you know, dating women earlier? Like you've mentioned that a couple of times that you had a lot of fear, what fear of what? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, my biggest fear is the fear that I would like it because for so long I had so much shame around being gay, which didn't make sense because I could, I could approve and value and love all, all the other queer people who were in my life, like doing their thing. I was like, that's amazing for you. But I was like, fuck, like that can't be my life because I was afraid. I think I was afraid that if I dated women, I would love it. And if I loved it, it would mean that I was actually gay. And if I was gay, it would mean that I would lose the approval of my family and even my religious friends. And I just thought it would be the end of my life as I knew it because I wasn't sure where the people in my life stood, which, which seems crazy now, but I just was afraid of losing people. And I didn't want it to be true because I didn't want my life to be harder. Totally. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Um, at what point in this process did you, like, are you still going to church or did you leave or at what point did that happen? Hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah. It, I don't really think it specifically has to do with my sexuality. Um, I probably stopped going to church after college and the reason for that was more so because I found spirituality in new, like I found basically new ways to nourish my connection with God and the God I believed in, which didn't seem to make sense inside of a church. So, and then as I've more and more um, come into my sexuality, I have felt more and more, sorry, less and less at home in a church. Like an example I'll give is there's still a cultural connection I have to faith. So um, last Sunday was Easter Sunday. And so I wanted to go to church genuinely because it's a nod to something I did every year growing up with my family and yeah, being away from home. It just feels like familiar to be there. So I asked uh, (laughs) my, my partner if she wanted to come with me and we were debriefing it after we're both kind of former Christians such questioning Christians and we were debriefing it after and we decided both that the hardest thing about being in that space was knowing that we were not necessarily wanted or approved of and it was really hard to be there as a couple in a space that we knew institutionally didn't approve of our relationship in that particular church yeah I know there are churches that do there are and yeah um, I was just, I was asking because you said that one of, that part of your fear was that you didn't know how your religious friends would act, but you didn't mention a religious community and having to leave church and stuff. So I assume that you had already done that at some point. Mm-hmm. No, actually I wouldn't, luckily I could say religion is a big thing in my life because I, I, in that way, because I grew up in a very niche, progressive faith community that my parents would go to that did welcome actually gay and lesbian couples before it was ever broadly approved of so yeah but I think just my friends and family each have their own kind Mm -hmm. of beliefs around it and I was afraid of losing those connections but church-wise I think I've always had an interesting separation of like these are if God is love God is love and it's the man-made rules and dramas that kind of create that warped perception but that's kind of a conversation for another time but I've actually been able to integrate God with being queer because I've never found that there was a rift in my in my heart but I love that that's my own own belief system I think it's amazing that you grew up you know in a community like that and that that didn't have to be a part of your fear around becoming queer or bi so that's yeah I am really grateful that I never felt like it'd be a rift with the God I believed in. It was just the people. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So you've kind of brought us up to, well, you started dating women. Was it like <laughs> women as well as men or were you just kind of like, nah, I'm women now? <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I did go on the cursory date with a man and I was just like, 
yeah, I was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And then I, um, it's a bit of a story that I won't go into, but it, it turned out that the, the first woman I ever dated was, is actually my partner now. Yeah. So that's really beautiful. Um, but I will say something I'm really grateful for is that, um, incidentally, and this is what worked for me, we were both each other's first queer dating experience, also coming off the heels of religion, upbringing and coming out later in life. So it was like this trifecta of, in addition to her, her qualities of just being really warm and beautiful and accepting, I think that made me feel really safe. I think I'm not sure how it would have gone if my first queer dating experiences were with women who'd been out for ages, because I think that was something that really intimidated me at the time. But well, I didn't know this about her when I first met her. Um, the fact that she was new to this, I think, really helped me feel safe and comfortable. But that is not to say that you can't have that experience with someone who's been out for ages as well. But that really helped me feel safe. Really? Um, yeah, my first experience with a girl, it was her first experience as well. Mm. And I also liked that because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. So this is good. <laughs> It was definitely less intimidating, but you know, there's definitely, I'm sure there's benefits to, you know, the first time you're with somebody that they have lots of experience too. So I'm sure it just ends up being what it is. And like your friend said, it's just a human connecting with another human, regardless of gender or anything. Your first experience with somebody is your first experience with somebody and everybody's different. Like, I don't know. I don't know how much of a difference it makes. That's what I've come to believe. And that's what I'd say to anyone who's nervous. Like everything can be the first time. So whether you have heaps of experience or none, it's like, just enjoy it. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Um, Cool. Okay. So how important is your sexuality to you? I would say it's really important because I feel that coming into my queerness has been the thing that's made me feel more at home in my life than I ever have felt. Nice. I love that. Can you talk about the difference? I've thought about this um, since I realized that I was bi. Typically in this culture right now, when people talk about sexuality, they mean sexual identity, your sexual label. Do you feel like that's different or how do you feel like it's different than just your personal sexuality? Because to me, I feel like it's different. Like a sexual label or sexual identity doesn't like mean a lot to me necessarily. It's my personal sexuality that brings me pleasure and nourishment and I don't know, just like a deepening of my life is my is my yeah. personal sexuality. It's like a source of strength for me. It's a source of of joy and bliss and to me, a label is just, I don't know, like it's something, it's good, like it's important, but it's different than my personal sexuality, I guess. So I was wondering how you feel about it. Yeah, it's funny because when you ask that question, how important is my sexuality to me, I was almost like, am I thinking of this answer in terms of my sexual expression or am I thinking of it? in terms of my label. And I guess... Okay, good. I'm not yeah. the only one. Okay, good. <laughs> no, actually, when you said sexuality, I, my first thought was sexual expression. But I think why I did choose to say my queerness is everything, <laughs> blah, 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 is because I think taking on that label like within myself internally and like being comfortable with that has been the permission slip to express my sexuality authentically and like feel the desire yes. for women that I feel mm-hmm. and love them and just kind of be me like freely. Um, I forgot your question, <laughs> but that answers it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just, yeah, I just wanted to discuss that difference between the label and the experience of your sexuality. Yeah, I think they're definitely different. So the one gave you the freedom to fully explore the other. Yes. Yes. I love that. 
That's yes. Fair. And I, I still had, you know, and I still had sexual expression and sexuality before I came into my queer label because it was around like my relationship with myself, um, what I do in my own time without a partner and just kind of allowing myself to be a sexual being and knowing that wasn't yes. harmful. I think I could, I was starting to do that through my relationships with some really great men and um, also with myself and giving myself permission to explore myself as well. So I would say like the queerness was maybe the missing piece, but it was really nice to just feel liberated and be like, this can be a great part of my life that doesn't have to be shameful and can be just joyful and nice. Yes. There's an aspect of claiming it. Yes. That. I don't know gives you the acceptance and freedom within yourself to be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think for so long, I think I thought sexuality or, or sex was like something that guys would take from you or take advantage of. And there was a lot of like extraction of my sexuality from me by yes. men. And then like the moment that I realized it can be a something that, I want and that I like and is that is actually like awesome and that it's like a yeah that's not a taking but it's like a sharing with kind of thing co-creation for lack of a less corny yes. term I was just like wow because that changes the power dynamic because I think totally. I was always taught that yeah I was in the lower power and it was taken from me but then when I realized it's just an objectively nice thing that when there's a nice person and I want to do that with them it can be great it just changed everything. Yes, That's I'm so glad it. you brought that up. That's so important in my heart too. And I love that. Yes, we are oh, so, we're often taught that our sexuality kind of belongs to our partner or it's for our partner. Our pleasure is yes. for our partner. You can only experience your pleasure <laughs> with a partner, you know. Yes. And <laughs> I relate to that so much. We're not taught that it's it's ours. Like it's our body. It's our sexuality. It's our power. It's our pleasure. I don't know. We're just, that's a big thing I want to teach and do teach is for people to own that for themselves. And you're right. Like if somebody comes along and you know, you feel safe with them and you're excited to share that with them. Great. But it is, it's a sharing. It's not like a giving and yeah. Yeah. I love, I that's amazing. I hope that you can teach everyone in the world that because <laughs> I think it changes it changed my life so much to realize that. And uh yeah, because I think I, I spent so long, like so many years, especially as a teen and in my early twenties, like trying to get people to not want to have sex with me and like block things and be like, oh my God, like we're getting too close. Like we're making up too much. You're probably going to want to have sex with me now. Stop. Because I just, yeah, I spent so much time trying to like push it away um, that I never even thought that it could be something that I wanted because I spent so much time trying to make other people not want it from me or not. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but it just changed everything when I realized I could want it not as a like, ugh, so you stop asking me thing, but like, a, like I could actually want it and ask for it because I wanted it. And that was a big deal um, in my life. So, yeah, I love that. I think it starts, um, this might be a little bit of a side note, but, um, even when, especially in, well, what I was raised in, but a lot of like strict, more strict religions, I don't know if it was the same for you growing up, but there's a lot of emphasis on virginity. Oh Yeah. Cause you were talking about you going to this university that was, um, you know, you only could have sex with somebody you're married to. So there's a lot on virginity in the Catholic faith. Yeah. And even just the language, right. It's like you lose your virginity to somebody. They take your virginity. Um, you give your virginity away or give it up. And it's like, I don't know. There's all this um pressure and focus on like the moment of penetration it's like there's no focus on actual your sexuality or your self-pleasure or you know what if you want to like 
penetrate yourself for the first time or like there's there's no options right it's like you lose your virginity to a boy and like I don't know it just kind of drives me nuts (laughs) yeah I have a long list of books I haven't read (laughs) that are all about this topic. (laughs) Yeah, I think there was a time in my life where I was particularly agitated about this concept. So I just started amassing books about the purity myth. I actually think that's a book title I haven't read. Um, And among other things. And I think, um, yeah, I just, I think it's one of those things like consciousness raising, like once you know that that's, a myth that's out there you can choose not to believe it but when it's the water you're drinking you're just like it's so crushing I think I know that title stuck out in my mind because I had a roommate who was reading that book and I was like what's that book and she goes it's the purity myth it's about how virginity is incorrectly lauded in our society and takes the power away from women to harness or you know control their own sexuality and I remember even knowing that book description blew my mind and was really impactful. It was almost 10 years ago. I still remember it. So, yeah. And there's a lot of myths as well about what, you know, losing your virginity looks like. And like a lot of women don't even bleed the first time that they are penetrated, you know, by themselves or by somebody else. And, um, a lot of women actually. So I don't know, there's just a lot of myths around that as well. And what that might look like. So yeah, that bothers me too. um okay so coming back a little bit more to your story um I have a question that I've kind of come across in my own journey that I'd love to ask you which is okay so I love that you've created a group for women that have become queer or are questioning later in life and not like from the Mm get-go because I know some people would say either, you know, or you don't know. So like, you're probably not queer. You're probably not bi or, um, that doesn't make any sense that you wouldn't know when you're, you know, from the beginning you're queer or you're not, you can't just figure that out later in life. That's kind of something that comes up for me sometimes when I think about, um, telling people I'm bi or that I've recently discovered that. So what's your take on that? Or have you come across that in the community or people saying that? etc. Oh, well, firstly, that sucks that that's been what you've experienced. Um, I actually haven't heard that before. I've heard other myths in that way, but I haven't heard that one. I haven't experienced that personally. Okay. But it's like a fear that I have. And I've like, I've heard people say things. I've heard people say things like that. um, Mm. Just not directed directly at me yeah um no actually I would say the bigger one is people thinking that kind of how I felt that they're not like worthy to join the gay community if they haven't been gay forever like I don't think anyone in in the in the group or in the space that I run personally um doubts the fact that you could come into it later in life because like all the stuff we said like the conversation's only increasing in recent times so a lot of people just didn't have it as an option of that was available to them especially women in their like 50s and 60s right now which we do have in our group which is really amazing um yeah but I think I think more so it's the who I think it's the narrative of like who wants to date a baby gay or a gay bee? Mm-hmm. Like, because <laughs> some people think, some people, Never think that yeah. uh, some people think that um, you might be someone's experiment or that someone might date you as a way to check things out and then go back to their straight life, which is, you know, I think a valid part of exploring. But anyway, there's more also, so that. Like if you're yeah. upfront about that. Yeah then yeah I don't there's nothing wrong with that but yeah if you are in if you are gay I can see why you would be tentative maybe to date somebody who's never dated a girl before because of that like you don't want to get your own heart broken yes and it's not all people in the gay community and I think it might even be more of a myth than 
a fact that there's stigma against baby gays. Um, I don't know enough about this whole world. I'm very new to it myself. So yeah. I'd love to have someone jump in and tell me the answer to that. But um, I think that's a, a stereotype that can be in the coming out later space. I don't know. I think some myths are based on fear instead of facts. And it's more mm-hmm. propagated by people that are not in that community or I yeah. think really interesting. Yes. Yeah, I I think it's a lot of people's own, I won't say people's, I'll say it was probably my own insecurity that kept me from wanting to date women, because I think I had this narrative of, oh, I won't know what I'm doing. Who wants that? No one ever said to me that that was a problem. So I think it was more about my relationship with myself than what anyone had ever said or probably would say to me, to be honest. There's something really beautiful about not knowing what you're knowing what you're doing. I like knowing the rules because then you have a chance to be more authentic and just explore and be curious and um I don't know, like kids don't do that, right? Kids don't say, Oh, I don't know the rules to walking, so I'm just not I don't want to try. Yeah. Anyways, it's like more exploratory if you don't know the rules. (laughs) Yeah, and it's more in the moment and more new and fresh and like creating something that's never existed before with your partner, I think is really nice. Like there's this idea in mindfulness called beginner's mind where you're supposed to look at, you probably heard of it, but Mm -hmm. like something like it's for the first time. And I think a lot of the things I've about sexuality it just has to do with presence and being present and connected in the moment and I'm like what better way to do that than if you're sorting out what you want and what you like <laughs> at yes. the same time it keeps totally. it it's fun cool. yes yeah yeah that is one of my favorite things to teach people about self-pleasure is it's mm. a really fun exercise to pretend that you're like a spirit that has just come into your body And then you touch your body and you look at it with wonder, like as if you have never been in your body before, even just like touching your hands like this feels so good and noticing the lines on your hand and what feels good to your body and how much pleasure like the inside of your elbow can give you or whatever. And you just touch yourself and pleasure yourself like you've never done that before with wonderment, with that beginner's mind, like you said. I love that. In sexuality, we... Yeah, we often get into ruts, right? We just like mm-hmm. touch ourselves a certain way and then that's it. Mm-hmm. But we have like a whole body. <laughs> so, yeah. no, it's amazing. I think, and I think that's something I like, I've even noticed for myself with. I think there can be a formula that it's more familiar with, for me to be with the male body, and you kind of know how that goes. Been doing that for a while now. And um yeah but since being with women is newer to me I've noticed that there's more of a yeah just more of a variety exploration and all that maybe it's because I'm different also at this stage in my life but I have to wonder that it's not partly because of the newness also so totally yeah yeah absolutely that's so cool that's so fun (laughs) I love it New ways of of experiencing pleasure is always fun. Cool. Um, What is one myth about sexuality or sex that you would like to debunk? Mm. Let me feel into what I want to say. (laughs) I won't say I'm the poster child of this, but one that has been really powerful for me to smash through is what we were mentioning before, which is that sexual orientation is not about what you look like or how you dress or how you speak or how you act or how you walk or anything, how you carry your body. It's about how you, it's about who you love, who you are and who you love. And I think that the more people who realize that you don't have to look a certain way to belong to a certain sexual identity. 
um, just the more powerful it is for people because you can just be you and love who you love and there's no dress code for that. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what do you want for yourself and your sexuality in five years? Oh, I love that question. I want to know my body really well. Like know everything that turns you on and know the spots that do it for you. Like, is that kind of what you're talking about? To be honest, yeah. I want to I wanna know myself really well in that way. Yeah. Yes. I think you can go easily go your whole life and not know. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's a fun journey, but it is a journey and it takes a while. So I love that. That's definitely one of the things on my list too for in five years. Mm. Yeah. I want to like explore new ways of orgasm too, new ways that my body can um, achieve orgasm and achieve pleasure. And even mentally, sometimes things surprise you and you're like, oh, I didn't know that turned me on, but apparently it does. (laughs) I want to That's keep learning about myself and I want to know a lot more and I want to have, I want to have invested in, in my sexuality because I think it historically in my life, it's been kind of the back category when I'm looking at like my personal development, which it's me. So I'm always looking at that. Um, but I want to continue to put it at the forefront and not just be like, okay, work, relationships, uh, you know, <laughs> money, health. Okay. And then we can think about sex. Like in five years, I would love to have yeah. even more really integrated it into my wellness and well-being and, and growth, because I think it's only recently that I've started to integrate it into, into myself really. Yeah. I mean, it's like everything else in personal growth that it affects all the rest. Right. So I think the more, because it's a deeper connection with yourself, yeah, physically, mentally, and then the better, you know, yourself, the more it's going to affect your ability to make money or your ability to uh, be in relationship with other people for sure. Like in a big way and et cetera, et cetera, right? Like it affects every part of our life. Um, but yeah, how, like, are you doing good lately at prioritizing it? I think that's something that I have struggled with and still struggle with um, is just being okay prioritizing mm. my sexuality over other things. I think better. I think I have to like acknowledge that I started from zero and the not too recent past. Um, I think I think at the moment, I could prioritize my my personal sexual pleasure more because I've got a beautiful partner and I noticed that um, being with her has, it's a, I can forget that I still want to be exploring on my own as well in my own time. I can, I have noticed that fallen away uh, the more time we spend together. <laughs> and, um, not that that's a bad thing, but I want to remember that, like, I think I am just getting through that whole thing of my sexuality is based on a partner. I think it's, you know, it's relatively new to be like, no, this is something that I always have that's not dependent on another person. And so um, I'm not doing so great at remembering that I can do that in my own time as well, because I'm pretty focused on partner play. The moment. Yeah, I think that's a normal to yeah. find your relationship, but yeah. Self-pleasure is is also important, I think, to take time mm-hmm. for when you're in a relationship. But yeah, it's, it's normal to focus on your partner when you're in a new relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just thinking that I'd really love to hear a little bit more. This is kind of going back to story and out of questions, but um, I'd love to hear more about why you decided to start the group for women who were discovering their queerness or questioning um, later in life? Like what caused you to start that group? 
So the group that I run is called Kinda Out Queer Chicks. I will I'll just explain kind of what it is and then talk about how I went to form it. Um, and it's run through Meetup. And yeah, like you were saying, it's a peer support group for women who are questioning or coming out later in life or who have come out later in life or are recently out. Kind of anyone who doesn't feel that they firmly sit in the LGBT community um, that's still kind of working through and trying on that identity. And so, um, so I started it, frankly, because I think it was the group that I'd wish I had had. Yes. And um, that's one reason, which I can go into later. But then, then the other reason was just kind of a perfect storm, you could say, of different things that were going on in my life. Like I was um, in the thick of my coaching diploma, so learning a lot about like facilitating groups and mentoring people and mm -hmm. coaching. And so I was feeling really empowered that I had some skills that I could offer. So that was kind mm -hmm. of sitting in my mind, whereas before I hadn't really stepped into any sort of group leadership space before that was outside of a, a job that I was already doing. Um, and the second piece that was going on was it was the beginning parts of the pandemic. And like, I had moved to Brisbane recently. I had some time on my hands as we all did. And I was really feeling like I just moved to Brisbane and I really wanted to give back because like volunteering is a big part of who I am like trying to make an impact in my community and I was like all right I'm part of this new community so I am um, I really want to be involved and long story short I tried on some volunteer initiatives but they just didn't seem right and I said okay I really want something that I think I could uniquely add something to so that was also in my mind and then um but honestly, I think the spark was like these conversations I kept having. I was reading the book Untamed, which was about Glennon Doyle. Yeah, it's kind of like the Bible of this experience yeah. uh, about Glennon Doyle, who came out as lesbian later in life in her 40s. So that was in my heart. Um, I talked to several women, it seemed random strangers who were all connecting with me on when I shared that I had come out later including our dear friend that we both have in common. And it just felt like I was getting signs that like, I'm not the only one. And so between wanting to give back, developing coaching skills and just having conversation after conversation of people who are coming out later, I was like, there's a need for this. And I was like, huh, someone should really start this group. I'd be, I'd totally go. And then I just had that moment of think I'm that person. <laughs> So I decided to do it and I had no idea what would happen. I had no idea if I had anything to offer, but I knew that I could hold space and bring people together. And so, um, yeah, so I, I launched the group through Meetup and um, people came and I was like, wow. And I was blown away by the depth of sharing and experiences in our first meeting and then Ever since then, we meet every month. Um, now we even have like social events once a month as well. So we're kind of getting together twice a month. Um, there's about 200 members in the group, although we'll probably see about 30 to 40 of them fairly regularly. And I think my biggest takeaway is like, this story is not unique. Like so many people no. go through this. And just normalizing it and being able to talk about it is so powerful. So that's amazing. That's I thought there was like, 10 people in your group. I had no idea it was that big. Yeah. So there are. So the people that, that come to a typical meeting, to a typical circle, there'll be 10 to 15. But the amount of women that have joined on the meetup platform, which means that they've gone through the questionnaire and identify in this space is 200. Yeah. So I feel that that's a lot more than I expected. Yeah. Um, and you would so get different women coming to your meetups too. Yeah. It's not always like the same. 50, I mean, you would have regulars, but it wouldn't always yeah, be the same but, 15 either. It'd be kind of whenever it works for people, right? Yeah. So just kind of the message I'm getting and want to give people is that you're not the only one. And that's been as, as affirming for me than it has been, I hope, for the women who come to the group. There's something, I think that two of the most healing words in our English language are me too. 
And um, like, I know the Me Too movement kind of, um, when people think of Me Too, they think of the movement, but just whatever you're going through to hear somebody else say like, ah, Me Too, that's my experience. Like, this is, you know, I'm the same. It's so healing to hear that because so many times we feel shame around things or confusion or uncertainty and security because we think I'm crazy. I'm the only one and nobody else feels this way. Nobody else has these thoughts. Yeah. Nobody else. Right. And so to hear somebody else say that is like, I don't know, it just makes you like relax inside. Yeah. You know? I love it. So I think groups are powerful for doing that. Yeah. I mean, even in this conversation, I've been loving hearing a little bit of your story too. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm not the only one. And yeah, I think the group, it's like, yeah, no, I make it really clear. Like we're not, we're not a therapy space. Make sure you get your own mental health provider if you can. We are just to share stories and share peer support. But I think that's really healing. And I've gotten as much from the group as I hope people have gotten from it. Cause it's been something that I didn't even know I needed to receive also because I thought that at 28, I was the world's oldest laid out lesbian. <laughs> I know it's wild, but I was like, I'm old. And then there's women from all walks of life. It's just so, uh, it just blew my mind, really. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the power of also, the power of putting yourself out there and starting a group that you wish you had. Like I did that as well with, for people that have left the cult that I grew up in mm-hmm. is I created just a, like a Facebook group for people that have come out of it because I didn't find that when I left yep. and I wish that I had. So I, same thing. I mean, it's not as involved as yours. It's just a Facebook group, but same thing. It's like, I wish I had this. I wish this was out there. So I guess I'm starting it. because <laughs> Yeah. That's really cool. I think it's easier than people think. Do you just like start it and you put it out there and then people come. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about that. If anyone is listening and would like to start some sort of group. Yes. Go for it. Yeah. So I think my main message, if anyone out there is like, I would love to have some sort of group around some sort of experience I identify with is honestly just do it. Like the meetup platform is meetup.com. If you don't know what it is, it's a worldwide platform to create groups around shared interest. And you kind of like, you sign up, you get a profile, it's free. And then you can search for groups in your areas of interest in your community. And that's just one platform that exists. And so you basically, you start a group around whatever topic you can think of. You can even meet virtually. Heaps of people meet virtually because it's COVID. Um, And you just kind of say, this is what we're about. This is what we'll do at the meetings. And people are out there. Like you might think like, who the heck goes on this online platform looking for groups? Like it's only weird people without friends. I won't say that, but there's so many like open-minded people that are just open-minded, looking to expand their circle, looking to expand professional networks, looking to get support with something like there's just so many different types of people on this platform um it's just an amazing space to access people who are looking for like community around a specific thing from like soccer to coming out later in life to anything in between so I would just say (laughs) yeah I would just say do it like if you maybe even get a co-leader like cool story actually um I, we have a sister group of my meetup group because two women who live a couple hours north of my city uh, came to the group. They really liked it. They wished that something would be like this in their region. So they actually decided to start their own kind of out queer chicks on the Sunshine Coast, which is nice. a little bit north of Brisbane. And so um, I've been to a couple of their events. So it can happen. You can do it with a co-leader. I'd say just yeah. do it. Totally. I'm with you on that. I'm also a huge fan of meetup. I used to go to meetups all the time because 
Um, I was interested in things that my friends weren't like, I could never Mm -hmm. get my friends to like go ax throwing with me or do bubble soccer or go curling (laughs) or like any of these other really adventurous things that I wanted to do. And so, or, you know, when I had free time to do it. And so I found meetup and I went to meetups all the time and I loved it. Um, I missed that since COVID. It's such a great way to meet people that are also just want to have fun. Yeah. You know, going open heart, want to expand their circle. Yeah. Really great people in there. Yeah. And there was some like, just like, um, you know, like authentic coffee or something, which is just, let's meet up for coffee and talk about like real shit. Yeah. Like there's all sorts of meetups. Everything. Yeah. Um, Yes. Thank you for bringing that up and talking about it. It's awesome. No worries. Thanks for asking. Um, so we are approaching the end of our interview, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so I have two more questions. One is, if you were me, what would you ask you that I haven't asked you yet? I would ask, um, what advice would I give to anyone listening who resonates with anything that you and I've shared. Yes, go for it. Mm. So the advice I would give if, if anyone out here is listening and saying, me too, I would connect to this, is I would say, just start. Yes, like coming into your sexuality can be slow and it might not happen overnight, but just start. Because I am amazed when I look back at like, even five years ago, three years ago, two years ago, at how much more free I am in myself with this. And it happened just by like learn, like reading books and listening to podcasts like this one and meeting people and just being, just feeling more free. And it's been slow. And sometimes I thought I'd never get to this place where I could be myself and date women and feel more free. But I did it. So I would say just start and you'll be really grateful and ask for help if you need it. Yes, totally. Um, Even seeking support before you start. Yeah. To start is really huge. Or just um, like you did talking to somebody about it, somebody that you trust can go a long way. Like talking something through with somebody can be so helpful in overcoming some of that fear that you talked about and help you make that first step. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Cool. And then what would you say if you could go back, what advice or what would you say to your teenage self about, you know, sex, sexuality, your body, Uh, your pleasure, whatever, anything along those lines? I would say, I would say that you're a really amazing woman and you, you can, you can only say yes to the people that bring you joy. You don't need to say yes to the people who are available because you're afraid that no one else will like you. You can, you can, you can call the shots on who you want to let into your life. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say to her. That's beautiful. I love it. Um, Do you want to tell a little bit more about what kind of coach you are and where they can find you? I'm at wildermindcoaching.com, which can be in the show notes. And I'm a career change coach who helps people navigate career changes with zest and intention with the idea that you want to know where you're going before you embark on your job search. So I help people just take a look at all the different areas of their life that they would like to see in their future and find work that fits into the life that they want to live and who they want to be rather than trying to fit themselves and their life into a job. So it's kind of like job searching from the inside out. So we definitely get you to the part of what do I want to do when I grow up? But we also take a look at how that work will or can be aligned with the life you want to live more broadly so that everything feels really aligned. So our work often depends, often determines our lifestyle. 
Yes. And that's not something we're taught to think of when we're younger and usually don't realize it until it's too late. (laughs) Not at all. So I love to talk to people about all sorts of job things and life things and goals things. So would love to have a chat to see if we might want to work together. I love that. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for this interview. I loved it. I love talking to you. I can't wait to meet you in person one day. Thank you so much for this. This was so fun. (laughs) It was. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for listening to and subscribing to Sexuality After. A new episode comes out every second Tuesday. You can watch these podcasts as well on my YouTube channel, Tea with Phoebe D. And if you have a story to share, I'm always open and excited to have more amazing conversations. So please contact me via my information in the episode notes. If you want to find out more about me and my coaching, you can find me on the aforementioned YouTube channel or www.phoebed.com. If you want to know more about my interviewee or the things we talked about in this podcast, check out the episode notes on your podcast app. I hope you accept and love your humanity and sexuality a bit more after listening to this episode. See you in two weeks.